thank you for tuning in to Game Investing Radio. Hopper here. Um, gonna try to make this one quick. The PS5 just dropped today, and gonna go through who, what, where, and some sales on Sony. Um, Sony is a complicated company with over 1,500 subsidiaries and affiliated companies, so it was really hard to tease out gaming. Uh, obviously, gaming has exploded in Corona for Sony, and it's definitely one of the most promising areas. Um, but um, kind of like Microsoft is a fully diversified digital stack, I would say, man, this is my personal opinion, freedom of speech. Um, it's a globally diversified stack of services and solutions and oftentimes those solutions may include hardware in the past i would say sony is a diversified global hardware company but obviously that's changed um they're very different than they were decades ago when i used to buy you know stuff like the walkman or whatever so the sony today looks like it's moving into digital uh, the question is you know what do the numbers say so if you invested in um, SNE or Sony stock over the last five PlayStation releases, I didn't annualize these numbers because um, that doesn't really matter because when you're betting on a console, you're really looking at buying the dip before the console and selling the peak after the console. So it's more of a short-term run. Most of these investments would have taken place between 6 and 12 months, maybe 15 so PlayStation 1 was released in 1994, and if you had bought the dip before the release, um, you could have got in around 20, and if you would have uh, sold at the uh, peak after the release, it would have been about up to a 40% gain, and uh, that might have taken maybe two years. Then the PS2 dropped right during the dot-com bubble five a little over five years after the PS1, and every stock on the market was astronomically high. Sony got up, you know, basically around 120, which was just insane compared to, uh, you know, 2025 when the PS5 came, uh, PS1 came out. So if you would have bought in for the PS2, which happens to be the most successful video game console of all time in terms of units shipped at over 155. Um, you would have taken a loss for sure because Sony has never gotten back to that 120 level. Today we're sitting around 90. I'm. It might be able to get back to 120, but if you held it since the PS2, you are an amazing, um, you know, investor with incredible long-term vision and stamina. Hats off to you. So really, it's it's a loss on the PS2 as far as uh, stock investing in Sony. PS1 up to 40%. PS3 is really the winner. That came out about uh, over six years after the PS2, Blu-ray, um, definite uh, game-changing console. Um, I do believe that's really when the uh, online digital took off, and uh, they they went after Microsoft Xbox Live. So, you know, that would have been a chance to get in pre-digital. I would say, you know, PS2 DVD-based. Uh, I don't know much about the PlayStation Store, but I assume uh, really it took off in PS3 era along with Wii and Xbox 360. So if you had got in at the dip 
after the dot-com bubble burst, before the PS3 dropped, you could have got in maybe 33, 35. If you would have sold on the peak, which was uh, maybe six, seven, eight months after the PS3 dropped, you could have uh, made up to 70%, which is an incredible gain over a, a year and a half or so. So the best performer in the entire console library was PS3 from a strict stock investing standpoint. And we're not talking about the other divisions. We're just talking about two data points, the stock price in U.S. dollars and release dates of five consoles with a dip and a, and a peak after. So PS4 took seven years uh, to drop after PS3. Um, it dropped uh, for Christmas 2013. And if you uh, had gotten in on the dip, there was a bad dip because of the global financial recession. Actually, most stuff, real estate, stocks, pretty much everything was down 2011, 2012. You could have got back into Sony for like 10, 11, 12 bucks and easily made 50% if you would have sold at the next peak. If you held it today, you're looking at, you know, five, six, seven, eight. You know, if it gets back up to 110, 120, you could have done 10x. So the lesson there is buy the big dip, buy anything in the big dip that, that can survive. Companies that can survive like Sony that have 1,500 affiliated subsidiaries and companies uh, diversified all around the world. Uh, Sony does 35% of their business in Japan, 25 or so in the USA, 17% in Europe, 10% in China, Asia, 8% and other, less than a half. So when you're looking at Warren Buffett and Dalio going overseas right now for the first time in his life, Buffett, you may think to yourself, how do I diversify? Well, you don't actually have to go overseas and buy an overseas stock. You can buy a Sony, SNE, right on the New York Stock Exchange, which is automatically making 35 plus 17 plus 10 plus 8% of the revenues in non-US dollars. So really, you're only, you're only really getting a quarter from every uh, a dollar in US dollars when you bet on a Sony stock. Completely geographically diversified company. I don't remember Microsoft and Nintendo if I broke that down completely by region or country, but that's something to take a look at when you're investing in a stock. You might want to look at geographical distribution of revenues or sales. Where do they sell stuff and what countries too? Income is a whole different ballgame, but I think when you're looking at big dips in the future, possible global recession, stuff like that, sales is really the lifeline of any business. If you don't have sales, you're not going to make it. If you're bleeding out, um, balance sheet is the thing to look at to see how far a company can bleed. Um, most of the high big, big tech companies that we talked about in the last episode have fat balance sheets. They can draw on credit at any time. They can survive any storm. And that's why the stock prices are out the roof. In Corona, the best stock performance has been strong balance sheets. I didn't have time today to go into Sony's balance sheet, but just looking at the distribution of revenue, you can tell that with 1,500 companies all around the world, you're talking about 1,500 balance sheets possibly, and um, only 25% are you in U.S. dollars. So right there, you know that you're really buying a foreign company, even though it's one of the 10 or so Japanese companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange that you can buy without a fee uh, if you have a trading platform like uh, Robinhood or TD Ameritrade or Schwab where you don't get charged any trading fees. If you do buy those over-the-counter fees, uh, fees, I mean, uh, you get fees for over-the-counter stocks like pink sheets, like smaller stocks, like I know Nintendo. I don't know if they have a fee, 
but they might have an over-the-counter uh, transactional fee, maybe four bucks in and out. So if you're a day trader, that could really hurt. If you're in for the long term, I guess it doesn't really matter that much. Um, who owns Sony? Follow the money, right? Well, the big, uh, the big boys that own Sony, again, turn out to be the same old story on these big companies, banks and holding companies. Uh, number one uh, player, almost, like I said before, when you own in the 8, 9, 10% range, you pretty much can control a company. A lot of companies, that's where Buffett sits. When you get over 10%, you're, I think you're, you're going to have to file a whole slew of paperwork and uh, hire lawyers and all that. So it's really a different ball game. I think the sweet spot for being the big player is somewhere in the eight to nines. We have two players, one at 9.27, one at 8.89. Um, Citibank is the biggest shareholder based out of New York at 9.27%. And the Master Trust Bank of Japan is the second biggest player at 8.89. So I would say those are the two people that could control. I mean, if they get in cahoots, they could control the future of Sony. Like, in other words, they could pressure a change in strategy, selling off a division. Um, they could pressure uh, a certain president or board of director leaving or something like that. You know, you can exert a lot of pressure if you have 8 to 9% of one of these large conglomerates. The rest of the field, you really only have one medium-sized player, Custody Bank of Japan at 6%. Then you have a bunch of uh, smaller players ranging from 1% to 2%. JP Morgan, another custody bank, another custody bank. So custody bank actually is a big player because through different uh, accounts or trust accounts, custodian accounts, they own actually 6 plus 2. So they own more than Citibank. They are the big player, custody bank. And then you've got J.P. Morgan Chase. So it's really J.P. Morgan Chase and Custody Bank and the Master Bank. Those are the three owners of Sony. you got a couple smaller players, which are surprising. Um, one of them is uh, American based in Massachusetts called State Street Bank West Client Treaty. And the other with an with a office in Tokyo. And the other is very interesting. It's the government of Norway. So the government of Norway owns Sony which is very interesting to me. They have an office in Tokyo and they're headquartered in Oslo. So uh, I haven't seen this before um, as far as, you know, a top holding in a, in a major global corporation. I'm wondering if that has anything to do with uh, um, clean power in Norway. Um, and then with that in mind, let's, let's look at what, what Sony really is? Where does this? Where does the Sony money come from? I was gonna say dollars, but <laughs> I gotta say money because it's coming from all over the world. And uh, here's what you got. Besides gaming, you've got music, you've got pictures, you've got electronic products and solutions, you've got imaging and sensing solutions. Then you've got financial services, and then other. Um, and that's that's about two trillion yen um, gaming, maybe a quarter of that. Right now, it's a strong quarter of that, and that includes network services. So that's digital and console. I think all rolled up into one. Um, electronics products and solutions, as far as imaging and sensing, from what I understand, that's hardware, but. I do believe the PS5 is going to be under game and network services, especially since the PS5 has an all digital that dropped today. 
Um, as far as gaming goes in general, you know, there's plenty of channels out there you can follow. This is about game investing. Um, and really, that's about it for Sony. Um, today, the stock is, you know, right around 90. I think I bought it a couple days ago just for fun, just to keep track of it in my account. Uh, maybe around 85. Um, I bought and sold some a couple weeks ago, took a small gain there. Um, and full disclosure, my Japanese cousin actually works for Sony in a completely different division. I don't even know which division. I've only met him a few times in the United States. We went to an arcade in uh, Northern California. He really was interested in cars, even though he works at Sony. He was, he was totally into like some weird Mitsubishi car. Uh, back in the day, maybe 90s, I'm thinking. So we never talked about gaming. I'm not affiliated with Sony in any way. Um, you know, uh, he's never given me any tips or anything. We've actually never emailed back and forth. My other cousin who works for uh, NTT in, in Japan has, has emailed back and forth about family issues, but I just want to make it clear that there's no conflict of interest. So for many, many years, um, my cousins were always complaining about Sony, and uh, they were always saying, you know, it's it's just, I'm going to get laid off, it's bleeding out. And for many, many decades, Sony was having a tough time. After the dot-com bubble burst and they got down to $10 a share, I mean, they had a rough time. I think they had a really rough time between the hardware boom that kind of started with the Walkman, you know, and then they had the Sony Vio, and then they had the, uh, the Sony cameras, and of course in Japan they have the... Uh, the flip phones or whatever back in the day. And and now if you look at the, I'm looking at the uh, the quarterly report. If you look at it, it has words like sensing solutions, financial services. And you only see the word products once, electronics, products, and solutions. And that only is, you know, 25% of the total sales. So it's a really small part of Sony compared to back in the day. I, I'm sure when they had the Walkman, it was probably like, you know, 95% uh, electronics, Walkman, you know, CD players, speakers, whatever, uh, everything in your home for audio and visual. So I know they still make some flat screens, but really it looks to me like they're pivoting to digital. And I wouldn't say that's gaming. Um, it looks like, you know, music and pictures make up just as much as gaming. And that's that's even with Corona. I mean, it's still pretty amazing, which means somewhere they're distributing uh, music and movies digitally because gaming blew up in Corona and that came up to, you know, 500 million or billion or trillion yen. It's hard to convert. Oh, it says yen in millions. So 500,000 million yen whatever that is. <laughs> That's a big number. But uh, music and pictures was basically four, a little over 400 versus 500,000 on gaming. So that's pretty strong. That to me tells me, you know, half of Sony is really digital. It's really banking on the Netflix future. And that's, that's uh, uh, quite a transition from being, you know, really the Walkman company. So hopefully that'll give you uh, a little bit of uh, insight into, you know, where Sony does business, where their money comes from, and where they're going. Um, clearly they're betting on digital. So with that said, from Microsoft, the digital stack, and by the way, Microsoft seems to be the only one betting on social media a little bit. Uh, that would be the difference in the three gaming companies, the Xbox versus the Switch versus the PS5. 
Um, like I said before, Nintendo's betting on characters and worlds, and they're betting on the physical world. They're going against Disney. Microsoft is really betting on everything from social to cloud to, uh, you know, they're betting on everything digital. And when I say digital, I'm not talking about digital content, I'm talking about digital content and services where I'm looking at Sony and it looks like they're focusing on solutions. So I think they service a lot of companies and, uh, you know, they got the camera thing going on, the financial going on and obviously movies and music, which Microsoft really isn't in those three games. So those are two very different companies, and all three, as far as gaming goes, are very different gaming companies. So with those uh, three podcast episodes, you can look at investing in Nintendo, investing in Microsoft, and investing in Sony for the recent Xbox Series X drop, the recent PS5 drop today, the first time we've ever had a PlayStation digital console. So what you want to watch is the units sold globally of PlayStation 5 digital versus uh, 8K Blu-ray, and then the Xbox Series X versus S digital versus physical. Those are the numbers to watch to kind of figure out where gaming's going and the question mark that everyone wants to ans answer, whether it's Wall Street, banking, investment, is what does the future look like for gaming in terms of digital distribution services and revenue? Um, is digital going to keep physical around or is digital going to phase physical out? If physical fades out, does that mean all the games you and me, you and I have in our inventory, have in our collection, have in our portfolio, is that it? Because I heard on the street, the rumor is it's dried up. Like you go try to buy raw N64, you know, raw SNES, uh, obviously raw nes i mean if it's made in usa atari good luck finding a 5.0 sealed you know raw physical with eight clean corners sharp edges no crushing it's dry there there are no there are no physical pieces and i kind of worry about wada um they're a one-trick pony and if if this is it as far as grading 9.0s 8.5s and up Where's WADA's money coming from in the future? Are we going to be grading 100 million Wii 9.8 pieces? Are we going to be grading Switch? Are we going to be grading DS, 3DS? Is all that modern stuff going to be desired by the market to where WADA can influx a whole new you know, library of graded games? Or are we going to fade out to digital and these are the physical pieces everyone wants? Everyone wants a 9.0 or up. What you see is what you get. If that's the scenario, the math does not compute because you've got supply coming down. You've got demand either steady and coming up. And if this is the number of pieces on the market, here's what Hopper thinks. Here's what he thinks. You know, this is this is freedom of speech. Um, this is just analysis, opinion, um, buying and selling raw for many years, early in grading, coming from sports cards where there's you know, 10x, 100x the number of pieces in mint or above, even in comic books, um, there's not enough. There is not enough. There's not enough of those pieces out there. So one of two things, either we stop investing in games, we stop collecting high-end pieces, or the new people that come in go for eights, then the next people go for sevens, the next people go for sixes. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm pivoting from sealed to first print lower lower to mid grades. I'm not even going for high CIB. So 
With that said, there you go. Full disclosure, 100% transparency. Try something new. I'm trying low to mid CIB. That's my new game. And uh, I will fail. I will have setbacks. I've already bought a Tyson box that turned out to be a lot worse than I thought because I didn't check. I didn't ask for pictures of the side and the bottom and the top of the box. I just looked at the front and the back. That was a mistake I made and I learned my lesson. I got really lucky though because I just looked at the same piece yesterday. I threw it in a box in the garage. It was gone out of my head for a long time. It was a painful thing. I looked at the back of the box. It had a 4.0 box. It was a 5.5 overall. And the cartridge was an 8.0. And I'm like, whoa. 8.0. I mean, I've bought and I've bought uh, I bought and sold like 15 to 20 cartridges. I've sent several in myself. I've searched for hundreds and hundreds of cartridges, cart only. Good luck getting an 8.5 9.0. I mean, good luck on anything like a Zelda, Mario, you know, a heavy hitter. Good luck even getting a, a 7 or a 7.5. An 8.0 cartridge is gold. So I'm gonna drop a little knowledge on on you today and give you give you a nice secret. I do believe there's CIB out there where the components are worth more than the overall grade. And if I'm right in my thesis about supply going down, demand going up, we've never seen this in anything. Um, like comic books, you know, demand comes down when Marvel movies stop. It's not like demand's going up and the supply is going down on comics or coins or cards you know, card, sports cards, the demand goes up and people send in trillions of cards to PSA and the supply comes way up too. So I'm seeing, I mean, just like on this Tyson piece, that is more valuable cart only 8.0 or Frankenstein with another piece to upgrade a lower, you know, maybe a five box or a six box. So that 8.0 cartridge in the stuck in the 5.5 CIB is actually more valuable as a cartridge. So you might find that on a manual, a map, a cart, a disc, a box. When you're looking at CIB, make sure to look at the back, look at all the grades, and come up with a valuation just like you would with a stock. When you look at Sony, you look at imaging, you look at electronics, you look at pictures, music, gaming, financial, and you say, you know what? This is a diversified company. I see financial is 25%. I see gaming is 25%. I see these two growing. These two probably shrinking. These will balance these out. And the overall grade is this. That's what you do on CIB. You don't have to worry about that on SEALs. SEALs, easy peasy. CIB. Turn it over, look at the copyright date, look at the date, where it was made, look at the water label, make sure there's no qualifiers, uh, make sure there's GSIs, maps, strategies, uh, letters, whatever's need. make sure there's you know, no weird stuff like flap missing, water damage written on the manual, tape on the manual, stuff like that. And then look at the manual and say, okay, well, let me see here. Super Smash Brothers, um, you know, let's look at the manual grade, uh, 5.0, let's look at the box, wow, 8.0, wow, the cart got an 8.0, but the manual's, you know, trashed, there you go, you add up 8, you add up 8, you add up 5, you multiply by 50% box, 30% game, and 20% manual, come up with your valuation, go on eBay or Heritage, and place your bid, there you go, so try something new, try a new way to value your games, look at the back, Come up with a component by component valuation, add it all up, check it against the current high bid, and then place your bid. Don't be worried if you overpay for something. 
because someday when you're a master, you're going to be able to underpay for everything because you know exactly what your own valuations are. Thank you for listening to Game Investing. This is Hopper out.